Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All American Spook Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the All American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Will. So, Donnie. Hey. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? And we start the uh, next 100 episodes, I guess, here, episode 101. And uh, we're, we're beginning a, a new, uh, I guess, tradition, format, however you want to call whatever you, you know, however you want to frame it. We're basically, uh, every other week when we do our normal horror movie reviews, uh, instead of uh, putting them up for a poll or just kind of like this uh, group decision where we kind of debate a few movies back and forth, we're basically going to leave it up to each member of the Spook Show to choose... Uh, one movie at random. Just uh, the only the only uh, criteria basically is, is obviously a horror movie. Uh, it sticks to our. Uh, we always do a newer movie, older movie, back and forth, rotational kind of thing. So we stick to that. Uh, and we we did it by uh, basically like a, a, a pick a pick a name out of the hat for the order. So we start today with Will's choice, and it's an older movie. So, Will, what have you decided that we're going to be talking about this week? And just in case the, the listeners didn't uh, find out the last time, you know, last episode. Uh, George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. From 1968. When I looked this up to, to watch it, uh, just, you know, to kind of get it out on Front Street, dude, it's on like a hundred different streaming services. <laughs> There's no excuse to not find this somewhere. I think it's on like almost every major service outside of maybe Netflix. Like almost every other one has it, you know. Uh, even some we've never heard of, and of course on YouTube and everywhere. So you can find easily find a copy of Night of the Living Dead to watch. So uh, I'll go ahead and get this out, too, since we're, we're usually kind of bad sometimes, or I am bad sometimes about letting everyone know. We are a spoiler-filled podcast, so um, if you haven't watched Night of the Living Dead, I highly recommend going, you know, like hitting pause now, go out and find it on a thousand different streaming services, or if you've got it on VHS, DVD, whatever, go sit down and watch it. Then come back and listen to the rest of this, so we, you know we don't spoil the movie for you. But because there is the uh, remake version, right? Smoked. I think that Tom Savini did like in ninety ninety one, something like that. Yeah, nineteen ninety. Yeah, there's yeah. the uh, Night of the Living Dead nineteen ninety, as it used to be known as, but now I just guess, guess it's called Night of the Living Dead. So don't don't get it confused with that one. We're watching the original George A. Romero classic from nineteen sixty eight, Night of the Living Dead. So um, I guess before we uh, dive into the the background and then get into the roundtable discussion about this film. We'll go ahead and toss up the trailer for Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. <laughs> night of the Living Dead. The Dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. 
the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. adventure in fear, an experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare, night of the living dead, a night with the dead who cannot die, a night of total terror. Night of the Living Dead. All right, there you have it. So I guess we'll go ahead and uh, de- you know uh, take a little bit of a dive into the background information here. Um, now the interesting thing is, is how this has uh, so many different uh, uh, titles. Uh, there was a basically that I could find. There was one title that was basically just kind of like, yeah, this ain't this is before I think they had even started doing anything. It was titled, uh, other than just, you know, the, the pre, uh, pre-production stuff, you know, uh, the writing of the script, screenplay, and all that stuff. Um, it was called Monster Flick. But then as soon as they started uh, production, they called it Night of the Flesh Eaters. Then, apparently, around the same time, there was another film that was being made. I think it was just straight up called Flesh Eaters or something. So, since they were kind of a small crew, uh, you know, a, 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 a crew that was kind of getting into the business with this movie... They didn't really feel like going through any lawsuits or anything like that. So they, right there on the spot, they're like, all right, well, let's just call it something that we're, this isn't going to be the permanent name, but it'll be a good working title. So they called it Night of Anubis. So um, actually on my Criterion Collection Blu-ray that I have, there is a, 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 a like a, it's basically a work reel version of the movie. It's just called Night of, Night, of, Night of Anubis. And I think it's like a 20 or 30 minute cut of the movie that basically they would have shown to kind of like, Here's what the movie's going to kind of look like, feel like, and everything. Um, but that's on there, which I, I didn't get a chance to sit down and watch it. But I did watch a little bit of the background stuff on there, and it was, you know, it'd be pretty cool to uh, sit down and watch that. But then eventually they finally landed on, obviously, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, did you guys find out anything interesting about any of that stuff before we move on, like as far as the copyright stuff and all that kind of thing before we move into the, the other information? Yeah, I did. Uh, um, as far as, you know, uh, Romero, he, he didn't really see much much profit from the film. Um, he didn't he didn't know a whole lot about uh, distribution rights. Um, so even though the the film made well over budget, obviously it was one of the uh, most successful independent films of all time. Um, he didn't really make much money off of it. Um, but yeah, there was something about the and you had actually just mentioned it uh, the copyright. Uh, went uh, it was in the public domain uh, I think it was bef- just before the uh, MPAA rating system uh, was uh, let's see it was the MPAA was a month rating later or something like that wasn't it or yeah it was about a month later yep um, but yeah we we actually covered the MPAA uh, rating system on uh, I think it was uh, uh, episode number 32 in our archives um, but yeah this this was one of the last films that, uh, that was released in the U.S. 
that did not have a rating. Yeah, so yeah, that... I think what I'd, I'd seen was also, uh, like, they were still planning to go with Night of the Flesh Eaters. And um, I believe it was something along the lines of they didn't want people to get confused thinking they were seeing, like, a sequel to that. Uh, so that's when they changed it over to Night of the Living Dead. And I think what happened was they, they just forgot to put the copyright in on it at the beginning or at the end when they had to change the name, that's which crazy. is one heck of a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. By what I can tout, what, blah, blah, tout. <laughs> I tout, whatever. <laughs> by what I can count, it's about damn near a $30 million plus mistake. Um, yeah. because from what I could find, the budget was somewhere between 114000 and $125,000. And a uh, box office, it grossed roughly $30 million. So, yeah, that's a, and, and God knows how much they've made off of, you know, what would have been made off of VHS and DVD and Blu-rays and all the various formats in the time since. Uh, millions, millions of dollars uh, in that one simple mistake. That kind of leads into a little bit into you mentioned about the remake. One one of the reasons, besides just doing a remake of it, that they did that movie is so that they could get the name copyrighted. Yeah. So that kind of benefited them when they came out with the remake. It did allow them to have a copyright on Night of the Living Dead. And I I don't know about the going forward from that point as far as home video releases. You know, whether these, I'm sure these new Blu-rays and everything, at some point that copyright, whether it was from the remake that helped them out ongoing from the rest of the, you know, home releases and theatrical showings of it or whatever. They very well could have, but I just, just talking about the VHS releases alone, that was the first, well, besides, I think I've done it on the Library of the Professors, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Betamax was like the first actual home video movie I ever owned, but that was because we had a Betamax and they, you know, VHS had come in and took over it and pushed it out and some of the video stores were selling their stock for cheap. But when it comes to VHS, that was the first VHS I ever owned was The Night of the Living Dead. And that's because anybody literally could release that movie because of that copyright issue. It didn't matter. And some hideous quality copies of it that you could find on VHS. You know, I thought one of the more, more interesting things with this movie is, you know, like usually, all right, let's do post-production. Now we got to do, you know, like marketing and, you know, kind of drum this thing up is, you know, what most movies do now. From what I saw, like, as soon as they got done editing it, like that night, Romero like threw the film and and uh, into his car, and him and somebody else drove to New York. Yeah. And tried to get it in a uh, uh, in movie houses that night. Wow! Yeah, you don't hear about that kind of thing going on anymore. That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> like we said, you heard the budget there, very small budget, um, and, and a lot of the people that were in it don't uh, not donated, but you know threw in on this. Uh, I think they said basically about ten of the people that were behind the scenes threw in about six hundred bucks which raised them about six grand, and then eventually, yeah, this ain't enough. So they had to, you know, find other investments that got it up to even to the amount that they were able to, you know, get there that I talked about. But this was all filmed basically in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Evan City Cemetery, various places around that general area, uh, a, a little bit in uh, uh, Washington, D.C., when I guess they were talking about, like, you know, the when, when they had, like, the scenes on, on TV of them, the military guys and all that, they, they actually went to D.C. and shot some of that stuff. Principal photography, uh, uh, it seems like it was, it must have been sometime in uh, late 67, early 68. I could never find like a specific date of, of when they filmed this, but it had to have been around that time period. Like this was, it actually premiered October 1st, 1968 in Pittsburgh. 
So I'm going to assume that was probably a drive-in maybe or something there in Pittsburgh. I think this was one of the, the last big drive-in movie. Yeah. yeah, I read that as well. But it released wide uh, just three days later on October 4th, 1968. So then it was released upon the masses, and it's had you know plenty of different uh, um, releases over the years and in different places since then. I mean, just as recently as uh, August of 2020, it uh, finally debuted in uh, Poland at the Octopus Film Festival. So <laughs> I guess every every couple of years or so, it's released somewhere, you know, uh, throughout the world. But it, it is not rated, like you said, the MPAA, you know, uh, that whole deal. Uh, it has a total runtime of one hour and 36 minutes. But I feel like it's a, you know, obviously that's the general runtime of most films, but it's a pretty quick hour and 36, in my opinion. Yeah. It yeah, it has it has a really good pacing. Yeah, yeah. It, you don't you don't feel like it drags at all. No, almost non-existent. Like you know, there are a few moments in there, but they're very brief, and it it keeps moving. So you know, it, it doesn't drag you down at all. Um, I definitely feel like a lot of a lot of um, movie makers now could take a lot of lessons just from that portion of this movie. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And it's very from the pacing and editing. Good. Yeah, yeah. It, it of course is directed by George A. Romero, and he was, you know, uh, one of the writers. Um, we're going to take a deep dive on the career of George Romero next week on episode 102. So we're not going to spend a lot of time today talking about him, but I mean, I'm sure anybody listening to this knows George A. Romero and the work that he's done. So we'll take the deeper dive on, on his background and his career and everything next week. Um, but he was, like I said, he's directed it. He was one of the screenplay writers with, along with John A. Russo, uh, now we've spoke we spoke about him before, right? Uh, there was one little movie we did way back in the day. I think that he had a hand in smoke. I don't know. Did we do one? I mean, I know we've talked about him recently. I did a library of the professor on the movie Midnight, which he directed. Yeah. I don't know. Did we did we do an actual movie that he had a hand in though? Yeah. One actually, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, it was a little little unknown film called The Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's that yep. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would happen think about it being Russo anymore because I do have the novel that he wrote Return of the Living Dead but it, they basically bought that novel from him I guess and made this movie that's totally not at all what was in the novel yeah, which is a good yeah. thing <laughs> much better than what was in the novel anyway so. yeah but we did talk about him at the time because you know he's listed as uh, uh, one of the writers uh, on, on that movie and same thing as like Russell Striner you know the guy that played uh, the brother in the in this film Johnny he had a hand in that as well, and he was also one of the producers on this one. So, oh yeah, he he is. Uh, his name has come up a time or two, and I'm sure it won't be the last time for him. But yeah, he he played a big part in that, and like I said, he was a producer. Uh, the cast we've got uh, the the main, I guess the two main members of the cast were Dwayne Jones, who played the part as Ben, and then Judith O'Day, who played the part of Barbara. We've got the Coopers. Harry Cooper was played by Carl Hardman. Then Helen Cooper was played by Marilyn Eastman. And then uh, you had the younger couple. I guess they kind of played teenage, right? Like late teens, early 20s couple, Tom and Judy. Tom was played by Keith Wayne, and Judy was played by Judith Ridley. The the Cooper's little girl, Karen, she was played by Kara Sean. Really, I mean, like, uh, th that's as far as, like, the principal cast, that's about the only ones you really uh, would want to want to bring up. Uh, I think Romero was actually one of the reporters or something in this, right, if I remember correctly? Yeah, was, outside the Washington yeah. D.C. thing, he played one of the reporters. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, like, there's not a lot that you can deep deep dive into any of these cast members, really, because not a lot of them went on to do a lot of things. You know, after this, uh, I, I mean, even like Marilyn Eastman was only she only had four four film credits, 
Judith O'Day, basically, you know, who played Barbara, she basically has kind of vanished from the business. She did one movie, like, and it was a television movie, 10 years after this movie, and then nothing else till 2003. She's been far more active since 03 than she was in the previous, like, 40-something years before that. So um, I guess she's kind of had a little bit of a uh, film acting career renaissance, but not much else to mention, really. I mean, uh, even Dwayne Jones only had eight acting credits. But that being said, I thought everybody did a pretty pretty good job in this movie of playing their roles the only one that sticks out that wasn't all that great to me was the the younger kid tom you you could tell his role was stiff as a board man like he wasn't used to doing it and you could tell you know it just it didn't but uh, it very wooden but i think everyone else did a great job so um did you guys have anything else you wanted to point out before we uh dive into the movie itself i mean that's uh, i'm sure there's a lot of little tidbits that i'm leaving off the table here i did uh read where uh, one of the Walter Reed organization's um, publicity stunts for marketing this movie was that there was a $50,000 insurance policy uh, against anyone that died from a heart attack while watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought that was, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I think we've mentioned that that's before. That's pre-70s. But... That's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've mentioned that before about how in the 60s and 70s, well, I guess maybe in the 50s too, but they always had these gimmicks, right, Smoke, of this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. kind of draw more people into the theater or, or into the drive-in or whatever. Sometimes I know for drive-in movies, they'd have people in suits, monster suits running around. Yeah, scaring the shit <laughs> out of people. <laughs> Put up into people's car windows or whatever, and uh, and they would advertise this too. So that, I mean, I, wish, I kind of wish I had grown up a little bit you know, it had been born a little bit earlier into that era just because, uh, or that somebody would really revive that shit these days. Yeah. They'd hand out like barf bags or something when you go into the movie or. Yeah. Make, <laughs> yeah. That make, make you sign that a, a quote unquote waiver to come watch the movie or something. <laughs> that way, if you fall over dead, it's not our fault. These special glasses, you know, it wasn't 3D. It was like Shaco vision. And it would be like basically those prism type glasses that makes everything all, you know, rainbow light colors or whatever. I, you know. <laughs> I think we, I, now come to think of it, I think we talked about that, give or take, about a year ago when we did the episode Popcorn, because remember, that movie is kind of full of all those kind of gimmicks, you know, except... Yeah, it's kind of homage to uh, William Castle, right, who did all yeah. those types of things that people will... If Ex you don't know William Castle, you probably know the remakes of like 13 Ghosts and House on Haunted Hill and all that stuff, but the original is where he would do that type of putting shock buzzers on the bottoms of some of the seats just the way they did in the popcorn movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, except in that movie, it was like all these all these pranks rolled into one and then dialed up to 11. You know, it was like, it didn't just yeah. rumble the seat or something. It literally, like, fried somebody to death and stuff like that, you know? Just... Yeah. Entertainment Weekly has this listed as their 13th scariest movie of all time. Mm, well, I mean, I, I can't argue with it. it. I mean, obviously, you know, you've seen a lot of things in the in the years since. Mm -hmm. That would kind of desensitize you to the type of horror that you saw here. But in 1968, this probably would scare the shit out of you. Um, there wasn't a lot quite yet, I don't think, that I recall that would have come out. I mean, I'm sure there's a handful, right, Smoke? But not a lot that probably would have, if you saw this, would have probably scared you the way this one would have. Yeah, I mean, there was gore, but not that, not even that much gore. It was Herschel Gordon-Lewis-type gore, which was, like, very campy. Not very ta not taking itself too seriously. I mean, that was that was shocking to people, I guess, seeing that level of gore. But as far as I can tell, there wasn't too many movies like Night of the Living Dead that came with a little bit more of that type of gore, but also with the with the scare factor to go with it. Right now, off the top of my head, that were that combined some of the brutality of the gore with the ratcheting up the tension and you know and the creepiness and whatnot. Maybe uh, Carnival of Souls, which didn't have gore, but it was one of the movies that influenced Night of the Living Dead, and it was rather eerie and scary and had its moments like that. But you know, it didn't have the gore. 
this and, and to what you kind of said there, this was definitely a highly influential film. I mean, like you you could say like this is what turned uh, uh, zombie movies into what we know and and film or uh, uh, and shows and stuff like Walking Dead and a lot of the zombie movies and stuff that have come out in the years since. This is the one that started that, right? Like there weren't and they set and it's almost like they set the ground rules in this thing like verbatim. Like all right, well. Uh, you shoot the thing in the head, it dies. If you get bit, you turn into one. All that stuff, all that stuff comes from here, right? Yeah. If you, if you, any of that, like any, any kind of zombie lore that people know today came from this movie. Because before this movie, it was all voodoo zombies. You know, mm-hmm. the typical tradition, Haitian, you know, setting of like, like white zombie or I walked with a zombie, where they're using these zombies to perform some duty or whatever, right? And they didn't eat people. This was the first movie that had cannibalistic zombies. And like you said, the first movie, they had like the rules of zombies where you like shoot them in the head and they die. Or yeah, you get bit and you turn into one or what all those, everything that we know today about the modern zombie movie came from this. Yeah. Like there, there was nothing that came out that set these type of rules. And, and it's literally like they're setting the rules. Like they wouldn't list them off. Like, you know, <laughs> throughout the movie, you learn these things, you know, like you're kind yep. of learning uh, the rules as they go along and they're explaining it to you. It's, it's, yeah. The other thing that was one of those movies where they didn't, he didn't, Romero never cared about really setting forth why the zombie apocalypse happened. There's a little bit of that talk in Washington about a media or comet or whatever, you know, a little bit, but not really. They just kind of throw it out there. Maybe that's it or whatever. But he yeah. never really didn't care about explaining why this happened, which is the same thing they took for like Walking Dead and all these other, you know, a lot of the other zombie movies. It's just you're, you're usually plopped right into the middle of something that's going on or either right at the beginning of it. Or near the end of it, depending on whatever, you know, wherever they want to, whatever the zombie movie is that wants to set their time period in. Usually you don't get a, a real explanation because it would kind of, I don't know, take away from the movie if they were to explain it too much, I guess. It's time to refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand with a parade of items to tempt your taste. Hot buttered popcorn, golden good and fresh from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich and full of flavor, ice cream and other good things to eat, plus ice cold Coca-Cola. So bright, so bracing, with a taste and tingle all its own. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, so I go over to Audible and I just typed in Night of the Living Dead to see what will pop up. And sure enough, right off the top, Night of the Living Dead by John Russo, narrated by Michael Reeves. That one is uh, almost five hours long. So that is there. Uh, let's see. We've got Night of the Living Dead Dramatized by John Russo, George Romero, narrated by full cast. Uh, that one's only about 55 minutes long. So a little less than an hour to do the dramatization, <laughs> the audio dramatization of it than it was the hour and a half long movie. And uh, let's see, Knights of the Living Dead, an anthology by, you know, various offers. Uh, that one is almost 12 hours long. So, um, and there's a few more versions of, I think, uh, Night of the Living Dead, maybe uh, narrated by other people and stuff like that. Uh, and there's another one here I just saw, The Living Dead by George Romero, Daniel Krauss. Um, that one's over 27 hours long. So uh, it says a new novel on it, so I'm not sure exactly I mean, it's Romero, so I'm assuming it's tied into this. Uh, I've never, I don't really know anything about that one, but it sounds interesting. Um, so if any of those tickle your fancy, go head over to uh, audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio book. So I guess we'll go into the, uh, you know, the, the old, 
not necessarily blow by blow, but just kind of explain the movie real fast, and then we can kind of get into our little roundtable discussion about the movie and what our thoughts were on it and all that. Siblings Barbara and Johnny drive to a cemetery uh, to visit their father's grave. As they're there, this dude rolls up on them, and uh, he, he's like, he got like a messed up suit, and then the dude uh, basically kills Johnny, and you know, or he attacks Barbara and then kills Johnny. Barbara's trying to get away uh, in the car, rolls down a hill, uh, she jumps out of the car and then she finds this farmhouse, I guess, like down the hill a little ways away and she hides in there. Uh, she finds a, a, the dead body of, a, of a, a woman, I guess, the person that lived there and her face is like eaten off. And of course, like now there's more and more of them kind of surrounding the house. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, a guy named Ben arrives and uh, he kind of helps secure the the, uh, the farmhouse by, you know, boarding up the windows and doors and everything. And he finds a rifle. So, you know, they think they're all sitting there you know he uh and but meanwhile she's like shell shock you know like she's mm. ha she's basically out of it because of everything she just saw then just <laughs> after it like he, he boards up all the windows and everything all of a sudden five people appear that have been hiding out in the damn <laughs> in the in the cellar this whole time <laughs> <laughs> they just randomly appear like hey what the hell i've, I've been beating and banging up here yeah we, we had no idea what was going on you know uh, <laughs> We had no way of knowing, but basically there's a, a, a older or a middle-aged couple down there that have, have a young daughter. She is uh, sick. They don't know why, uh, but they had been attacked. And then there's a younger couple, Tom and Judy, that's down in the cellar. Um, so basically they come up and they all kind of decide like, uh, all right, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make some Molotov cocktails. You're going to throw them down from the upstairs. Uh, that'll, the fire distracts the, uh, uh, they don't call them... I don't think, I could be wrong, maybe you guys heard it and I didn't. I don't think they ever call them zombies, right? They just call them ghouls in this film, right? Yeah, they never they never mentioned zombies one time in this movie. Yeah, they say those things. Yeah, say, never in any Romero movie either. He, he was against, <laughs> he totally, like he explicitly said he didn't want to call them zombies. And mm -hmm. There's not a or a movie where the word zombie pops up. And I'm sure we can get into uh, a little bit of that discussion here in just a minute once we get through the uh, explanation of this movie. But they eventually find a TV and, you know, of course, they're listening to radio reports and everything. So you, that's where you get a lot, of, a lot of the exposition in the film is through these TV and radio reports of, like, what's going on outside of this house? You know, what, what caused this? What's happening? How do you deal with it? You know, it's kind of explained throughout the entire uh, movie. But basically, this is where they find out that the ghouls, we'll call them that, can be stopped with, a, uh, you know, like a bullet to the head or a heavy blow to the head or whatever, or just straight up by being burned. Um, and that's where, like I said, they... they they come to the conclusion that fire, you know, scares them off. So they decide to throw the Molotov cocktails down from the top. And then that allows uh, Ben and Tom to run out to get to the truck that is out there that uh, Ben rode to the farmhouse in. Because so there's a gas pump over by the, uh, the farmhouse. They need to get the truck over there so they can fill it up with gas. So as, they're, as they go across... It's like a series of unfortunate events unfolds. <laughs> they can't, <laughs> they can't do this smoothly at all, um, because all, what they'd never do is have a torch around a, a gas pump, you know. <laughs> or, yeah. or if you can't get the gas pump unlocked, you shouldn't shoot at it. But both of exactly both of these things <laughs> happen in the course of this shit. Meanwhile, Judy, Tom's girlfriend, had run out and like they they told her to stay in the house, but she's like, "No, I'm with you." So you know, she's in the fucking way, but. They get into the truck. They manage to get it over to the gas pump. They they basically, like, it, they shoot at the damn gas pump to, to unlock it. Luckily, that didn't blow up. They He grabs it, and he's just like, oh, gas! And he just, you know, <laughs> throws gas all over the damn place. 
that catches <laughs> that catches fire and like oh shit we got to get away from the gas pump so he he's driving the on fire truck and then Judy can't get out of the truck she's like my coat is stuck or whatever and then boom the truck blows up so John, Tom and Judy are gone uh, Ben's like what the fuck so now I got to get back to the house of course he gets back to the house and the guy the the uh, middle aged guy Cooper won't let him back into the house now I should say up to this point there's been this whole back and forth thing where they Clearly, like, this guy wants to be in charge, but Ben is in charge. They got this little, you know, back and forth going on. So, like, as soon as he gets, Ben gets up to the house, he won't let him in. But he eventually kicks the door in, you know. He, he just starts beating the shit out of him. Uh, I think at that point, didn't he shoot him? Didn't he punch him, like, three or four times and then he shot him? I think that's where it happened. But either way, eventually, that's where, you know, eventually Ben shoots him. Cooper goes yeah. down to the cellar where his wife and daughter are. No, his wife is upstairs. Yeah, she's she's upstairs at this point because she's up there helping defend off the the ghouls, and uh, their daughter at this point has died, and now she starts like basically eating her dad once he goes down there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Once, go, yeah. yeah once he goes down to the cellar, like basically she's done died and come back to life as a ghoul. She starts eating him. The mom comes down, and then the girl picks up like a, a, a like a, a a garden spade or something and just stabs yeah trowel yeah and stabs the mom to death uh so then meanwhile as the mom is getting away from the the ghouls um barbara goes over to help her as she gets away and then she the door opens up and then one of the ghouls is her brother johnny and she's just johnny and the the ghoul just basically grabs her and walks away into the crowd of zombies the end so barbara's gone so um, basically now Ben is the only one left. He goes down to the cellar and finds Cooper, Mr. Cooper dead and eat, being eaten by his daughter. So he just, no, no, she, she comes upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. The daughter comes upstairs after basically killing her parents. Right. Mm. Um, Ben locks the door or whatever goes down. Cooper's dead. He sits up and he, he kills him again, but <laughs> Ben killed this motherfucker twice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah also it's probably worth noting here though which is fun. This is, you know they had the schism going the whole time and the whole time like Ben's saying the cellar the cellar is the safest place and, you know and then there's, no I'm not going to yeah. lock myself in the cellar ironically enough yeah. it turns out that the was the safest place yeah so all this for nothing yeah. um yeah <laughs> or or was it right as you're about to find out here at the bitter end um but then yeah. Mrs. Cooper <laughs> she she comes back to life and he has to put her down so now he just basically hangs out there the rest of the night. Next morning, uh, what you keep seeing on the television this whole throughout the entire movie is that there's this roving band of, of uh, it's not really like a, a lynch party. Like a militia? Yeah, I guess it's just a group of guys that have guns and shit. They've got together and they're just kind of going through the countryside, uh, you know, killing the ghouls and burning them and everything. They roll up. Ben hears all this. He hears them shooting and hears them yelling outside. He comes up. And for some reason, he didn't say anything or anything like, hey, I'm alive or nothing. <laughs> he just like gets into the window and picks his gun up like he's going to shoot him, right? And then one of the one of the guys like, yep, shoot him right between the eyes. Pow! Ben goes down. He's dead. Uh, and then like in the credits, you see them like in pictures throughout the credits, yeah. like uh, p- picking Ben up with like the, uh, what do they call those, those hooks? Like the meat hooks, I guess, kind of? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like log grabbers or whatever? Something. They grab a hold of them and like throw them in the fire with the rest of the ghouls. That's that's the way it ends. It's like a big pile of bodies yeah. being burned. Uh, literally like the end. That's it. 
Go to Blake. Yep. So there you have it. George Romero's 1968 cult classic, Night of the Living Dead. Will, since this was your choice, we'll start with you. You got any got any co- questions, comments, anything you want to throw out on the floor to, to begin? Man, this movie, like the ending, I'm sure that's the way it would go, you know, just life sucks and and then that's the way it is. Man, <laughs> for a movie, it was very anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you expect... You expect things to be all right for at least one of them, right? Like Ben, Barbara, one of those. Because pretty much, well, the younger couple wasn't too much, you know, they were helpful and they weren't assholes like the Coopers were. But you expect somebody to come out of this. Like somebody's going to survive. Yeah, this is one of those, one of the first movies that that, uh, I think I read that didn't have the traditional Hollywood ending. No, it went the total opposite way. It's dire as hell. That's all I can ever think of when I think about it. It's just fucking dark, man. It's like shit. Yeah, the way it builds is just bleak from beginning to end. I mean, there's there's no really there's no let up. There's a moment, you know, you got Bar or Barbara gets there, and then then Ben shows up. So you think, oh good, at least he's not gonna, you know, got him. Then there's two of them now, you know. Then they come up from the basement, and then oh, there's some more. But then they turn out to be assholes. <laughs> yeah. And all these keep like compiling, compiling, and compiling. And you think by the time you get to the end, he's like, yes, okay, Ben survived. He's gonna make it through. Here's this. Here's this party coming in. They're like, okay, they're gonna rescue him and get him out of there. And then all of a sudden, bam! Yeah. And they're like, what? The fuck? Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Very well done. I have to say. I mean, it's something you don't expect at all to happen the first time you've seen that movie. No. Like I said, you expect what you expect to see is like, fuck. He he made it through the night. He comes up. The the cavalry comes in, so to speak, and he's all right. You know. No, no, you don't. You get the total opposite. Now there, of course, there is the whole. Uh, you know, George Romero never really shied away from, like, social issues and stuff like that. And, like, mm-hmm. all of his movies kind of have some kind of allegory or wh- whatever the phrasing is for, like, things that were going on in real life, right? So, like, yeah. this obviously is, like, right in the heat of the civil rights movement and everything. Yep. So that had to have been a big deal, uh, not only the lead being a, a black man, but, you know, the, the kind of the co-lead being a, a, a woman, you know, a white woman. So these oh, these yeah. were all like they had to have been like hot button issues, so to speak, back in 1968, right? You would think so. I mean, they were, and you would think so. And they, but every interview you ever see with Romero, he always mentions that no, nah, I wasn't doing that intentionally, and I picked him because he was the best actor for the role. But you know, it's gotta, it's gotta be, it's gotta tie in. It's gotta play in some way. And yeah. regardless of yeah. how much you deny that these things were going on, I mean, well, maybe, maybe not consciously. Maybe it was a subconscious decision because yeah. of you know issues and everything on. going on as the white shows or whatever and what what the storyline was and the whole thing but i mean according to romero though he always said no it wasn't i didn't do it anything intentionally it was sort of uh it just happened that way mm-hmm. i don't know if i yeah, know to, to kind of build off of that was uh, uh i also read that originally the the lead male character was actually supposed to be a white truck driver <laughs> and uh when when they were auditioning, uh, that guy came in and just kind of blew them away. So he just kind of had to rewrite it as they did it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because like even though this is a, a, a black man in the lead role and he takes charge, right? He's kind of in charge of the group or anything. None of those things are ever, they're not talked about in the movie. It's just, he's the guy, he's the lead yeah, guy, he's, he's in fouled. charge. Yeah, like they never go into that. So that that kind of does lend to what you were saying about Romero not doing that on purpose. Like it's just, you know, because you think if if he's doing it on purpose, he'd be like, there would have been something in there, like, well, I'm not going to listen to a black man or something, you know, from the guy Cooper, right? 
who clearly just feels like he's a racist, but they never say that. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, it's just kind of there, but you have there's there's a feeling of it being there. You know, something I was thinking about, um, like you know, you think about how times have changed and everything. You know, uh, if like if, you know, well, you guys have kids and such, or uh, but you know, you think about if your you know if your kid watches this today. Uh, and they see the, uh, you know, the first ghoul just kind of, just kind of burn through the phone lines and just kind of ran through the phone lines. Kids won't understand like how much of a disaster that would have been. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. yeah. Cause they tried to, they tried to use the phone. You just can't use yeah. the phone. Yeah. Well, why not? You know? what's, what's a line have to do with it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's that type of, uh, you know, I guess just the, I guess just the age of the work. Yeah, it's just a, a snapshot of, of of a moment in time, you know, yep. in that, like, uh, all the only way they had to uh, communicate was obviously they had a phone, but the phone was out basically from the get go. They had they found a radio and they're like, oh thank God we can at least listen to what's going on. And then eventually they found a TV and like now they're all crowded around the TV. Now obviously it would be the same today, right? If something like this was happening, you, you know, but still TV was still relatively new. At this time, right? Like, it's not like everyone in the world would have had a television like they do now. Even then, yeah, most people probably had TVs, but it probably still wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Yeah, and, so uh, TVs were probably out, like, what, 15 years by this point? And give or take. I think it was sometime in the 40s, right? When televisions became, like, a thing where normal folks would have had them. So, you know, yeah, most people probably would have had them, but not everybody. Uh, I know? would lend to the fact that, um, let's see... Uh, Maybe I want to say it was probably the mid '50s. The only reason I say that is because of uh, Back to the Future. You know, <laughs> yeah. my only frame of yeah. reference is, is Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure televisions became a thing late '40s, early '50s. But yeah, you're right. They're probably every other house in the neighborhood would have had one definitely by the mid yeah. to late '50s. Uh, yeah. So even by this point, you know, it would have been. It still would have been somewhat. Now, I ain't gonna say rare, but it wouldn't have been common. To have a television, mm-hmm. so, uh, but yeah, those are your only ways of getting any kind of communication back then. There's no cell phones, there's no internet, nothing like that. So you know, you know, if somebody cut the phone line, like you said, yeah, you're just fucked. <laughs> this was the way, children. Something else I uh, also uh, noticed, like in in the opening credits, uh, Johnny takes off his driving gloves. That's <laughs> something you never really see anymore. No, like, I mean, that's that's more of a you know way back when thing. That feels more to me like yeah, way back when, or or if you have a really nice car, you know, like if you drive like uh, I don't know an Aston Martin or something like that, you know, just a fine vehicle, fine luxury vehicle. Maybe you, maybe still today you, you wear driving gloves or some you know chauffeur or something like that. But that's pretty much it, right? Like doesn't go beyond that. Now you're not gonna get out of your Pinto with it and pull them off, right? I doubt. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, if you even get out of that Pinto. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Donnie, you and I both, we worked at a car wash back in the day. And every, <laughs> every once in a while, you'd get into a car like that, like a, you know, something really nice, like better than, especially the piece of shit cars we had back then. Like I had a Peugeot station wagon, you know, and, and you had like an old Nissan or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. Like you're not wearing driving gloves in a car like that. But every once in a while in this car wash, you would all of a sudden, like, you know, something like fucking, this is. This is damn near, if not a $100,000 vehicle just rolled up. And you're just like, oh, where are the driving gloves? You know, you, you barely wanted to, like, 
touch yeah. it just to pull it down to wash, you know, to finish drying it off or whatever. Ah, those were the days, kids. Don't uh, don't yep. don't work in a car washing. Yeah, you don't tear up the shoulders. <laughs> and you don't make any fucking money. Wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. Mm -mm. So yeah, I mean, we why why are so many of the zombies naked? By the order, not zombies. I'm sorry, heaven forbid, ghouls. <laughs> why? Well, I mean, like. Uh, if you just die, well, you start running a temperature. You're still alive. God, it's hot in here. I'm gonna take that shirt off. Yeah. Ooh, get a little campy downstairs. Let's let's take the bottoms Ooh. off. <laughs> These pants are <laughs> chafing me. Uh, oh, now I'm a ghoul. <laughs> I can understand like people dying in various ways, or you know they get attacked or whatever, and they become a ghoul, butt naked. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Especially since they don't really set up the premise of these things are coming out of the ground or anything like. Not that you're buried naked, but you get what I'm saying. Like that might make some level of sense but yeah i was just and it seemed like they multiplied too like yeah the the ghouls multiply there's more you know it starts off with three or four and all of a sudden there's like 40 out there but like see what like every time they cut to the ghouls outside there's more naked people <laughs> are they just ripping each other's clothes off what the fuck is going on here you know ghouls are dtf what can i say yeah <laughs> and there's many subtle levels of makeup too like some of them really like you know you could tell they put up they put some makeup work in to make them look like you know something happened to them then others are just nice nah, Here's just an old dude naked. No makeup. He's, he's, he's a ghoul. There's uh, Batwing. <laughs> that's where the uh, budget really shines, too, right? <laughs> that didn't have any budget is on the is on the ghouls. I know, you know, over time, these things, the, all these things, the idea of it became more and more and uh, special effects, blah, blah, blah. But at this point, yeah, they they did not put their money there. That's for sure. <laughs> special effects. Probably most of their money was just in uh, destroying that house and burning cars or something, right? Yeah, sure I believe I read you... like that 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 house was actually an abandoned house, and they went through and kind of built the house back up because like the uh, the owner, I guess uh, the farm that it was on, was actually going to demolish it. It was just like, here, we'll take care of that for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like these days. Like, well, I guess they probably did it back then too. Like, so they're going to tear this house down. No, don't do that. Uh, let the fire department practice. On this yeah. house, so they'll just set it yeah. on fire. Yeah, that's the way you'd want to do it if you were uh, trying to do a, a movie on a budget. Like, oh, you're going to rip this down anyways? Yeah, just, can, we, can we do it? Cool, all right. <laughs> Save you the trouble, now, gives us a movie. Now, something that would have been really interesting is the original premise uh, of what eventually became this. Mm -hmm. uh, what I read, the original premise for this movie was actually an alien movie. Uh, where aliens come down to Earth, and, and it was kind of like a, almost like an American graffiti type thing, where it was supposed to be aliens and teenage kids riding around in hot rides. <laughs> it was like, uh, from what I heard, was like the original premise of the movie. And as things kind of evolve, and they, they realize this is going to be way too much money. Because, I mean, Romero, uh, I believe Josh, you told me this, was like when he, before he started this, like he was making commercials, right? Uh, yeah, I think that he had done that, yeah. Yeah, so, so like, this is him kind of branching out. So, yeah, th this would have this would have been an odd movie and probably dramatically less memorable. Yeah. I was uh, about if to say, that would have been... I was about to say, interesting, yes. Something we would be talking about today, probably not. Especially yeah. back then where, I know that sounds like an outrageous premise, there were probably other movies that were similar to that premise that had already come out, especially throughout the 50s and early 60s where horror... I wouldn't say it was dead, but it was definitely not as prevalent anymore. And a lot of these type of movies, there was a lot more sci-fi 
elements and, and your horror and stuff like that back then. So, yeah, as, as kooky as it sounds, there probably was some movie already made that sounded similar to that, you know. So, yeah, going this direction was uh, the right way to go, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the dark ending. I mean, like, what, what more can you say about that? Just a fucking dour, down and out, <laughs> fucking depressing ending of this movie. What, that's another question I guess you could throw out there, like as far as like how you said you, the framing of it, if they have done it a different way or whatever. The ending. What if he had the, uh, survived, Ben or someone else? How would you feel about the ending of that? Would you be any better about it? Would you be like, you know, it's it's perfect just the way it is? I mean, how, what do you think? Mm, honestly, man, you know what? You think about this is what I thought. And the only reason I, oh, man, this is gonna this is gonna sound fucked up. But um, that's what yeah, we're here I mean, for. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. yeah well, uh, <laughs> no, honestly, and this is what I was. This is what I was thinking the uh, the first time I watched it, um, which has been a number of years ago. But uh, I was thinking that they were going to kill him anyway. Yeah. Like, like even up, if even he, if he had if walked, he comes out, out like with know. his hands up, like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm I'm alive. Get him!" Pow, pow, pow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's not. Yeah. Like we know it was shot in PA. But it's not really uh, mentioned, you know, during the. Um, well, I, now know. that I don't know because, um, you know, there is the. Ah, uh, you know what? Yeah, they, when they're they naming do mention off the cities the and stuff. Yeah, when uh, well, I don't know if they ever said Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania, but like when they're listing off those cities and stuff, you, even if you didn't know yeah. that, you'd probably hey, wait a minute, those are, those are towns in Pennsylvania, I would imagine. So yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but that's either way, that's, either way, that's part yeah. of the reason why I think they they probably would have killed him anyway. Yeah. And that sounds super fucked up, but I, but you know, that's kind of, and, uh, and uh, honestly it's, it kind of holds up to today, you know, just all the craziness going on, you know, yeah, they're, whether they were purposeful or not, these, yeah. th- these themes and these, uh, these comparisons, however you want to phrase it, that he, that they wrote into this movie and he put into this movie, yeah, they are, like I said, purposeful or not, they're there. Uh, they make you think about these things, whether it was meant to think for you to think that way or not. I think they yeah. were. I think there was, and you know, and he was being kind of coy and no, no, I didn't do that on purpose. Wink, wink. You know, like that's what I think, but because yep. he was a crafty dude. So yep. <laughs> and, and like, and he's made other movies that kind of had these same themes and comparisons too. So that's why I think, nah, he, it was there on purpose. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, unfortunately these are things that still are talked about and and still exist, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And that's just the world we live in. Um, you know, and all we can do is, uh, you know, make our own little corners better and, you know, not think that way, but but these things make you think that way. That's for sure. It's there. There's no doubt about that. And you don't, (laughs) I know we don't, we rarely get too heavy on this podcast, but you know, this, this is the kind of movie where it makes you think about it. So it it has to be discussed. You can't just ignore it because it's there. All right. So now that we're going to, Close, close up the book on Night of the Living Dead and move forward. But before we do that, let's get to our usual little bits. Donnie? Connections. <laughs> I'm going to add like more, I'm going to add more ha-ha-has to the end of it. So like, <laughs> it just keeps going for five minutes that. and then y'all are eventually like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is, uh, basically where we, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, for this episode, this is where we connect the current movies episode, uh, to, um, any cast or crew from, 
previous episodes. Um, so we do have a couple of connections uh, on the on the crew side. George Romero also did uh, Creep Show, uh, which we covered in a uh, in our archives as well. Um, and we m- also mentioned John Russo, John A. Russo, uh, writer for um, uh, The Return of the Living Dead, uh, which was one of our earlier episodes. On the cast side, Russell Striner, who played Johnny, was actually the writer or one of the writers for uh, the Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. So that's our that's our connections to past Spook Show episodes. All right, Will, we'll toss to you. Okay, so I came up with uh, eight in this one. Uh, we've got Johnny, who got cracked in the head right off the top. Tom and Judy, who... They got burnt to death in the truck that exploded. Harry got shot in the gut by Ben. Karen was bit by Helen. Helen, who eventually you know, succumbed to her bite from before the movie started. Barbara got eaten by the zombies when she went after her brother. And then Ben got shot in the head uh, right there at the end of the movie. And that's not including the God knows untold others, you know, <laughs> the, the ghouls, whatever. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and count those as dead and move on. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> otherwise it could just be a hundred thousand. Who knows? Pretty dead. Yeah, yeah. it could be Pre-dead. infinite. <laughs> I ate. Sounds like good. So smoke that naturally leads us to you. Gore score. Now this one was uh, like we mentioned before. For the time, it was pretty gory. I mean, it was only you only had Herschel Gordon Lewis movies to really compare it to. Uh, and no, it's not nearly as gory as it would get come Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. You know, because they worked with what they had at the time. And Fabini hadn't even come into the picture yet. I think he was still in Vietnam hmm. at the time. So he, actually, that's another thing we didn't really get to yet that uh, they knew each other because, you know, Fabini was from Pittsburgh as well. And he would have wanted to do the effects of Night of Living Dead. But like I said, he was in Vietnam. And he, was a, he was a photographer, a combat photographer over there, which, as he said himself in other interviews, that, uh, that gave him a lot of experience when it came to seeing the real thing when he was doing his effects. But he did not get to do the effects on Night of the Living Dead. But I, and I don't know who did these effects. I think it was all in-house type stuff. It was all, they were all just their, you know friends and family and stuff. So, uh, but I think for for, the, for what it was, it was effect. I think I'm going to go with a with a seven on it. It'll get a little bit juicier when we get to the uh, sequel. The one thing we fa- that somehow I fucking failed to do that we normally do before we did what we just did is the star rating. So, Will, since this was your <laughs> choice, <laughs> since this was your choice, Will, we'll start with you. What's your star rating? What are your thoughts? On this, I'm going to go uh, four and a quarter. I mean, this is, this is you know, one of those, like, movies that, you know, obviously started zombie movies. But also, like, there are so many things that horror movies use today that you know were built upon from this movie it's it's a classic you, you know you can't you can't love zombie movies without you know having this as the basis so i'm gonna go four and a quarter uh donnie what do you say yeah it's a um, all good points you know you mentioned uh you know this being you know among the most influential uh movies to not only um the genre but also i would say all filmmakers um it definitely changed the genre too. Um, you know, it's paced well. We mentioned the editing. Um, it's not perfect, but you know, it's kind of nitpicky things. I'm going to go four stars. Smoke. What do you say? Oh, it's in, I mean, you can't really gloss over the, how influential this movie is. And, you know, as we've already said, it started the zombie, modern zombie genre that we know it today. 
without it, you wouldn't have, you would have never had Resident Evil. You would have never had Walking Dead. You would have never had the glut of zombie movies that came out. Really, after this movie, there was only a handful of movies that were influenced by this one. After Dawn of the Dead, there was like untold amount yeah, of true. movies forward. <laughs> and then uh, Romero himself was going to direct, I think, Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil movie. At some point, he was connected to it. And uh, whatever reason, you know, he didn't. For better or worse, it's probably the best. Because then he went on to do his own Land of the Dead and, you know, three, two or three other zombie movies right beyond that. I, I, well, I won't say... Well, I, I, I think anybody knows this already because we've done our own, like, favorite, you know, top whatever, top five, top ten movies. My favorite Romero zombie movie and my favorite actual horror movie of all time is Dawn of the Dead. So, you know, we'll be getting to that one at some point on the show. That doesn't diminish the importance of Night of the Living Dead. And uh, I'm going to have to go with four and a half on it for just how, you know, just how influential it is, how great it is. We mentioned everything, the editing of the movie, the pacing, the gore for the time period, the storyline, the unpredictable ending, you know, all those things. I think I four and a half stars solid. Yeah, I'm basically going to echo what you just said. I mean, like, you're not going to find uh, too many films that are as influential on modern horror and obviously the zombie genre, this is the grandfather. This is where it all started as far as like the way it is now. Like you said, Resident Evil, Walking Dead, uh, Night of the Living Dead, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, well, the remake, but Return of the Living Dead, all those, Blank of the Living Dead, I mean, everything. And it is funny, yeah. like you just mentioned that, how it's like this came out and then it basically took about 10 more years for Dawn of the Dead, right? Give or take a year. And then, exactly. Exactly. yeah, 10 years. And then all of a sudden the zombie genre just took off from there. So it was like... This is the one that kind of jump-started it, but Dawn of the Dead just took it to a new height. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm going to go four and a half. Uh, four and a half, too? Okay. Yeah. Uh, th- this is one of the... It's all, it's one of my all-time favorites. I mean, it didn't... When we did that top 13, I can't remember whether I put it in the top 13 or not, but if it's not there, it's right there. You know, it's like top 15, top 20. It's it's very high on my list uh, of, of horror films, and... You'd be hard pressed to find too many that are as influential as this one, like we've said, you know, a thousand times already. So, yeah, for those reasons alone, I'm going to go with you with four and a half. So, if you add them all up, the consensus score from all four of us, 4.31. So, there's a good chance this might, you know, when we do our Spook Show Awards in October, <laughs> this might take the cake as far as like, you know, yeah. that I don't know if we'll watch another one that'll get high, high marks like this. So, we'll find out as the year progresses, but, um, yeah, that's that's. I think this earns it and is well deserved. So, uh, pretty much that's it. I mean, you got the you got all the usuals, and there you go. The consensus scores of four point three one stars out of five for us. So that's really high marks. One of our highest rated highest rated we've ever done. So we'll leave Night of the Living Dead. We'll put it back on the shelf. You know, put it back in its DVD slip cover and slip it back on the shelf. And we move on to next week, episode one hundred two. We're going to be talking about the career of George Romero. Um, since we didn't take the deep dive today, we'll take the time to do it there. Uh, unfortunately, he is no longer with us, but you know we'll, we'll take this opportunity to uh, go through his career, his early roots, uh, all the influential horror films that he made and everything. We'll talk about him, so we'll get that coming up next week. But episode 103 will be our next horror review, and this time it's my choice, and I have to pick a newer one, and now our criteria is newer as 2000 up. Anything 99 back is older. So since we have to do that, I, I found I watched this one the other day, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is one that we have to get to here on the show, because this thing is fucking heavy metal, and it is buck fucking wild gory. 
I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it from 2015. It's called Deathgasm. I have, yes. Yeah. Have, yeah, it's it's actually on my list to watch, but yeah, it, yeah. Well, bump yeah, it up to I, the I, top I, of the list because this motherfucker <laughs> is wild as hell. All right. Uh, if you're a fan of heavy metal, of course, this is going to be right up your fucking alley. Like you said, Smoke, Rocktober, Blood, uh, Trick or Treat. Put all those today and fucking turn it up to 11 and ratchet up the blood. Because here comes Deathgasm. So <laughs> it is it is awesome. I think you guys are going to uh, really love this movie. So uh, it came out in 2015. It is not rated. And the brief synopsis on IMDb is two teenage boys unwittingly summon an ancient evil entity known as the Blind One by delving into black magic while trying to escape their mundane lives. So, yeah, I think this is right up you guys... Allie, you're, you're gonna, I think you're going to love this one. So, yeah, we're going to have some fun in a couple of weeks with Deathgasm. So, everybody, I, I'm pretty sure it's uh, available on Shutter, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe yeah, other various places. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely there. So, uh, uh, we'll have the full list of where it's available by the time we get there, so, just so you uh, have uh, have a chance to... Uh, hold on, I'll, I'll just look it up real fast so we can kind of drop it in there real quick. Hold on. That's his library. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. You can just ask Smoke to borrow his DVD. Okay, <laughs> here I go. Uh, so I found it. I looked it up. I found where it's available. It is on AMC Plus, Shutter, which is kind of one and the same, really, but it, it is two different services, but AMC on Shutter. Uh, it's on Tubi for free if you don't feel like paying for one of those subscription services. It's on Pluto TV. It's on Peacock, Plex, Vudu, the Roku channel. And, of course, you can run it on Prime Video or go buy the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. So it's multiple ways to watch it. So there's no shortage, even between now and then, of ways for you to watch Deathgasm. So go check that out and then come back in two weeks for that. But don't forget, next week, episode 102, we, we're going to do a Spook Show Spotlight on the life and career of George A. Romero. So you don't want to miss that. So I guess that's it for t- today, guys. Um, anything else to add here before we check out? Got nothing. Looking forward to uh, 102 and 103. Yep. There you go. We'll we'll talk about it some more over on uh, Deadline Horror News and uh you know the Patreon video minisodes and everything between now and then. But look forward to that. So for Will, for Donnie, the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All American Spook Show Horror Podcast, and we will talk to you next week. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.